0: Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, just a quick announcement. If you are listening to this podcast on the day it's released or within a few days after, I want to let you know that we are launching our once a year sale through Exo Mountain Gear on Monday, November 20th. As I said, it's a once a year sale. We only do a sale historically this time of year around Thanksgiving And this year it's going to be 10% off site-wide. So if you've been interested in the new K4 pack systems that we released this year, if you're interested in any accessories for a pack you already have, if you want to pick up some logo gear, we got shirts and hats and Nalgene bottles and all kinds of stuff. So check it out. It's at exomountaingear.com. Again, that's going to start on Monday, November 20th at 9am Mountain. It will only last for a limited time. I'm not sure how long it will last, but I would say if you're listening to this before it launches on Monday, just make sure you sign up to receive our emails because we will send out an email when the sale begins, and then we'll also send out an email before the sale ends, just as like a last call. So check that out if you're interested. Just want to make you aware since it is the only time a year that we do any sort of sale. On today's episode, we have a before and after story about a mountain goat hunt, which if you know me, if you know the history of my hunting and have been listening to the podcast, you know that I absolutely love mountain goats. And this was a fun story. It's a mountain goat hunt in Idaho, which is one of the once in a lifetime tags for Idaho residents. So if you draw a mountain goat hunt, this is your opportunity. This is your chance. This is it. And we hear about that today. Our guest is Josh Skinner. Again, you may have heard his before episode. If not, I will leave a link in the show description so you can go check out the before episode on it. But today we're diving into the after the hunt episode. We talk about Josh's experience leading up to the hunt and his scouting, how he formulated his plan, how the season went, the unexpected twists and turns of the hunt itself, and a whole lot more. This is a great story, not only just a fun, entertaining hunting story, but a lot of lessons that you can pull from it, even if you're not hunting mountain goats and you're just a mountain hunter, a backcountry hunter, someone that wants to do more adventurous hunts. There are takeaways in this for you. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. If you can share the show, it would help us tremendously. If you could leave a rating or review in the podcast app that you use, that would be very appreciated. And we just appreciate your feedback. So if you have anything for us directly, you can always email podcast at exomongear.com as well. Hit pause and do that now. If something comes to mind, or if you can leave that review or rating again, that'd be great. Otherwise let's dive right into this conversation with Josh. Well, Josh, welcome back to the show, man. I, uh, so excited. I personally just get super excited to hear about mountain goat hunts. So (laughs) I am really excited for this conversation. Um, For folks who didn't maybe catch the Before the Hunt episode, can you just do a a super brief introduction again, just so new listeners may have context just for who you are a little bit? You bet, Mark. Thanks for having me again. Um, So my name is
1: Josh. I'm born and raised in southeastern Idaho and grown up in the mountains playing around and everything like most Idahoan boys do and for the last 10 years or so I've been applying for a a once-in-a-lifetime Idaho mountain goat tag and I was lucky enough to draw this year.
0: Yeah, Uh,
1: yeah, It was kind of unique because I've been putting in for a different unit the whole time but then that goat herd is having like a Uh, illness issue and so they closed that hunt down and i put in for a different unit and drew it the first try so
0: (laughs) yeah which you probably weren't expecting i'm sure i wasn't You correct and uh yeah
1: but it was fun it gave me an opportunity to to learn that unit more i used to play there uh in camp and stuff like that yeah but uh, yeah it was great
0: nice man well i want to start here and again listeners there's a lot more context if you didn't catch that uh the before the hunt episode we'll have a link to that in the show description for this episode so you can always go back and catch up but josh i want to pick up from where you and i last chatted on the podcast we recorded that in june i know it was released later i think in august but essentially i before we dive into the hunt i want to pick up the story right from you and i last chatting in june because i know that you had opportunity to get in this country over the summer and to scout and uh you know that's obviously especially for a once in a lifetime hunt like this it's that's part of it right it's all of the anticipation the scouting leading up to the hunt itself so what did you know june and onwards look like for you in terms of getting into that country scouting learning it etc
1: um i basically spent you know, 90% of all my free time over there scouting. Um, I don't live terribly far from the area. So it was pretty easy for me to just hop in the truck and get over there after work type deal. Um, one of the things I wanted to make sure I did was, you know, for one, scout and try to find, you know, the goats and the goat and two, make sure I felt like I'd spent enough time in the unit, having the experiences I wanted to have in case I was lucky enough to, you know, find the billy I was looking for on my first day carrying a rifle. I didn't want to feel like I didn't get enough out of the hunt. So I think altogether I probably spent somewhere around 15 days scouting and I think like nine days carrying a rifle and hunting.
0: Did you, over the course of that time, explore a lot of the unit? Did you end up finding that goats were distributed fairly narrowly within the unit and kept a pretty focused, uh, you know, objective on covering country. How did that look like? I did spend a lot of time scouting the whole unit and it's a
1: massive unit and there are goats absolutely everywhere. So it kind of created a little bit of stress for me because I had a hard time narrowing, narrowing down where I really wanted to be. Cause it, I think of those 15 scouting days, there's maybe two I didn't see mountain goats. Oh, wow. So they were absolutely everywhere. But that said, I was seeing a ton of nanny and kid groups and not that many billies, which uh, became a little more stressful later on. <laughs> yeah. But there's lots of billies out there. I was just I don't know if I was looking in the wrong spots or, or what, but uh, it was awesome. I had so many great interactions with mountain goats some up close stuff that was unexpected. And yeah, it was a dream come true.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Was there much variety or were you finding, you know, you mentioned goats are kind of distributed through this unit and it is a big unit. The areas that held goats, were they all fairly similar to each other? Did you run into much variety of country? Um, you know, fairly similar, I'd say for the
1: most part, but The terrain's kind of made up of, you know, big, big, huge mountains that are just basically covered in shale. And then there's other really jagged, rocky, cliffy stuff. And I was finding goats in both of those areas. And there was a few times where I'd find a solo goat in the really nasty cliffy stuff, uh, you know, quite always off in the distance. And I'd make a commitment to go get in closer and see what it was. And it was a nanny every time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh Yeah, I actually had one, one that really threw me for a loop because I was glassing it for, from like a mile and a half away. And I could see that it had glands on its head from that distance, but I couldn't, you know, see any decent horn detail. And so I went up after it, climbed up the chute, got up in there and the goat had bedded between, you know, when I left the trail to get up there and I finally got up there I thought it was gone. Uh, stood up basically with just my rifle, and my binoculars in my hand, and then she stood up at about a hundred yards away. And I quickly could tell it was a nanny at that point just because of her horn structure. But I got some really good pictures of that and shared them with the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance and just to kind of help promote the fact that some nannies do have those glands. And so don't rely on that for, for hunting.
0: Yeah. No, that is a great point because it's, yeah, there's a lot of talk about billies and looking at glands, but I think it does get overlooked that nannies can have visible glands as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. While we're on that topic, just in terms of identification, um, you know, nothing replaces in the field experience of looking at goats. And obviously, you spending so many days scouting and looking over goats is incredibly helpful, but did you feel pretty... Did you feel like the... Call it the non field judging resources, the things from Rocky Mountain Go Foundation, from Idaho Fish and Game. I think I had mentioned to you like the Alaska identification. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of good resources. Did you feel that those were helpful or not that they replace field judging, but I guess what was your confidence level like on sex identification? And I guess how much of that was pre-hunt or non-field judging study versus just spending time in country and looking at real goats. Um I do think
1: that those resources that are available now are extremely helpful. One of the things I really found helpful about it was before I went into the hunt it kind of made me realize how difficult it can be to distinguish gender on those things. So I went in more apprehensive than perhaps I would have been had I not absorb some of those resources. Um and I'm I'm glad I did, you know, Idaho as we mentioned now has yet yeah, a mandatory uh course you have to take online, which is really helpful. And had I not taken that, the nanny story I just spoke about, there's a good chance I would have shot that thing thinking it was a billy. So, I think the education resources are invaluable. Um you know, being out on the mountain And seeing the goats, when you see a Billy, you can tell right away. And I would go so far in between Billy sightings that I would start turning these nannies into Billies until I got close. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, luckily, you know, I I was disciplined and didn't put my hand on the trigger or anything, Um, got close and was able to completely, you know, solidly identify all these goats. So. Yeah, very thankful for that when I did have a good resource that had held this tag last year and he actually, uh, did accidentally shoot a nanny from a distance. Uh, he sent me a picture of her. She was a huge, beautiful nanny. I could see how the mistake would be made. And I feel like if Idaho fishing game had had the mandatory test available last year, I don't think that would have happened because he's somebody I would consider a competent hunter, but just didn't have a lot of mountain goat experience.
0: Yeah, there are certain instances that it can definitely be tough to judge, especially when you have limited angles and things like that. For example, I am curious on that that nanny that you ended up seeing, you know, fairly close, 100 yards, made that judgment call that it was the nanny despite the visible glands. I mean, you obviously went you went into that encounter expecting a billy because of the glands, most likely yes but yet you said you quickly identified it was a nanny so i'm curious in that one particular instance like what were the cues what were the things that you saw how did you make that call fairly quickly of oh wait i was expecting this to be a billy because of clans but it's not because of what what stood out to you
1: uh basically the lack of mass at the base of her horns and the curvature of her horns they were very long um But they were also pretty thin and they had the, that classic crook towards the end of the the horn that I couldn't see from the, the, you know, the long distance at the beginning of the hike. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and then after I watched her for a while, she also squatted to urinate (laughs) instead of stretch out like a draft horse. So that kind of made it also easier to tell, but I I knew, known before that, but
0: (laughs) yeah. The two most helpful things for me is I studied and looked at goats and then obviously spent some time in the field with them was, that's usually where my eye would go first was just to look at the base of the horn, compare it to the eye, you know, and really see like, does this thing have mass that clearly exceeds the eye? Um, And then, yeah, if you can get a good angle just on that shape and curvature of the horn, um, those were the two I found you know again being a novice the two for me most helpful things to look at
1: yeah i completely agree um the dirty spot on their rump is not a good way to tell either i saw lots of nannies with dirty butts as well from from -hmm. their beds um yeah, there's just, I, there's a lot of, I wouldn't say necessarily misinformation out there, but there's a lot of not fully accurate information out there. But mm-hmm. RMGA and state, you know, fish and game associations are really trying
0: hard to remedy all that. So it makes me happy to see. Yeah, I think some of that is like, uh, things that are clues are taken as rules, right? Like the glands, yeah. like the visible glands can be a good clue or maybe indication that this may probably be a Billy, but it's not a rule. Right. And similar with the the dirty rump, like, Hey, this can be a clue or maybe a good indicator, but it's not a rule. Um, yeah. and so I think that's, you know, that, that needs to be, I guess, understood by, you know, goat hunters is like, what's, what's a piece of the puzzle versus what is definitive. Right. Totally. Did you in that, time I we, we got off track on sex identification which was totally fine that question I asked you about if you were you know finding goats in different types of areas you know topography terrain etc partially I was just curious on that but I was also curious if you made any decisions on where you decided to hunt based off not just animals but like this is really cool country that I want to hunt Um, you know, say for example, you did have a couple different billies or even just groups of goats scouted that may contain billies. Was there any sort of decision of like, I like this country better, or I felt this was more huntable country for goats versus, you know, maybe a different group of goats on a different type or different side of the mountain or different area of the unit. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. Um, (laughs) Early in scouting, just I think it was right before the 4th of July, I went out for a quick trip and I I found a, a great Billy with a, he had a, a younger, young adult Billy with him. Um, watched those guys uh, from my camp one night. It was awesome. Just with the, the spotter and my phone scope. And then I, you know, took a mental note, obviously, and put a pin on Onyx to come back for that. And I found what I could thought would probably be his, you know, his bedroom, or at least where his escape terrain was, using Google Earth and Onyx. And I hiked into that. And it was a completely off-trail zone that ended up at a small mountain pond. And it was one of the most beautiful places I'd ever seen. And I really, really enjoyed being in there. And that was, you know, was somewhere I identified as somewhere I wanted to go because I could see the pond on Google Earth and it wasn't named. And I did never talked to anybody that had been in there. And I went in there and I I found you know no human sign at all. I found a, a cool deadhead back in there and just uh, yeah, it was it was a place I wanted to be. Everything felt right. And I did see um, a younger Billy, which I think was probably the one that the the big guy was with. But I never did see the the big guy back in there, and that was still in September before I was ready to shoot one. Uh, really wanted to wait for their heights to get longer, but uh, yeah, uh, went back a couple times to that area, and I never did turn up that big Billy again. But I was, you know, I was getting a lot of intel from friends that uh, elk hunt that area during the archery elk hunt that was going on at the same time. So I was kind of popping around all over, checking out goats that people told me that they had seen, and found myself in high traffic area. Found myself in high traffic areas that were were cool, but it wasn't really where I wanted to be. And so, kind of to your point, I started branching off and going into places where you know guys weren't you know giving me hot tips about, but I knew probably held goats because pretty much everywhere there did, and I really had a lot more fulfilling experiences that way even if it was a day where I only saw one or two goats, the terrain was just so breathtaking. It was, it was worth the the effort to be there. And I really, I don't know what I'm taking away from this hunt is all the experiences I had with all the amazing high mountain lakes and just crazy scenery that we had
0: it was so cool. That's awesome, man. That's uh That's cool to hear that. that would be very similar to the way that I would approach it of like, Hey, there's maybe this hot tip here or even a good mature Billy. But if it's not like in a context that I want to be hunting, whether that's terrain, number of people, et cetera, like it just personally wouldn't be as fulfilling for me. Yeah. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I, I know you have, you know, you said Grown up in Idaho, like you have a ton of experience outdoors, but I'm just curious as you spent more time pursuing goats specifically through your scouting or even early into the season, because of some of the places you went to, did you change anything practically, logistically, gear-wise, like over the course of this process? Or did you find that, hey, what I typically do, what I typically use uh, what's familiar to me is certainly suitable, you know, for this hunt and this pursuit,
1: yeah, um you know, I'd really say the only thing i I changed, I don't even know if I'd call it a total change is my footwear. Um, I'm, I'm I've always I always had good good ankles, uh, not a big need for ankle support, so I really enjoy like hiking and trail runners and stuff like that. but when you get into some of that really rocky, nasty talus and, and scree fields, you've got to have boots. So I would say the one thing is I wore my, my boots more often than I normally would hunting or scouting. Um, but otherwise it was, you know, I bought a new tent because I wanted the, a smaller lightweight tent um, before this all started. That thing was awesome. I loved it. But otherwise, did you go with? Uh, the Durston X-Mid oh, yeah. 2. So That's... yeah, it was a, it was a good addition to my shelter arsenal for sure. But yeah, otherwise everything else is stuff I already had. So it worked yeah. out pretty well. Saved me some money. That was nice.
0: <laughs> it's always nice. Did you, whether it was again, scouting or during the hunt, uh, just thinking of shelter makes me think of whether, did you run into any pretty wild conditions or was it fairly typical for what you'd call expected, you know, in Idaho over, August and September and, and October?
1: I would say I was luckier than normal. I think I had one, one day of, of really foul weather and terrible wind. Nice. Otherwise, like, I don't know, man, it was unbelievably nice. Pretty prime. <laughs> <laughs> Towards the end, it started getting cold. Um, you know, wake up and the puddles and stuff would be frozen in the morning if there was, you know, standing water around, but Otherwise, yeah, a couple snow flurries, but no real rain to speak of other than just the one day. It was nice.
0: Alright, so I'm curious how did scouting change your um, what, I don't want to say what you expected or even hoped for, but I guess, you know, when you find out you draw a tag, it's once in a lifetime. You're You're aware of Idaho and goats and you know what's a good goat and obviously goats are so unique because sometimes what separates a good goat and a great goat is you know a half an inch right (laughs) um but i'm just curious your your physical experience scouting did that change your pre-hunt or pre-scouting expectations or objectives on trophy quality or did you even go into it going man it's really tough to assess trophy quality after looking over goats in the field
1: uh yeah so going into scouting and especially at first when i was seeing a lot of goats and then i saw that one big billy right off the bat on like my second or third scouting trip i was like okay this is you know not going to be easy but i'm going to see lots of billies and i'm going to have a lot of options it was what i was thinking and then as scouting uh progressed I just kept seeing more nannies and more kids and more nannies and more kids and fewer billies or sub adult billies with nanny groups. And then I started to get nervous. So I would say in that aspect that I knew the billies were out there, obviously, but I was starting to doubt my ability to find them for one, which it's never fun to have self doubt, especially when you're alone. I spent 90% of the time scouting and hunting alone, uh, which, you know, it's easy to get in your head and <laughs> convince yourself of things that aren't necessarily true.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I'd never really had much of a chance to, to really judge, you know, great billies versus, you know, good billies um, other than just seeing juveniles or sub adults and then the occasional, you know, big Billy. Um, what was the second part of that question? I'm sorry.
0: No, I did Yeah, I think that answered it well. I was just also curious, like, did your, I don't know, I didn't, I don't recall from our previous conversation, and I know you're, you were very much, as we've discussed, like, into this for the experience, not the trophy or the score, but I was just curious if your, all the time you spent scouting and looking over Billy's changed your expectations or, um, you know, anticipation of what may be possible from this hunt from a, from a quality perspective yeah
1: it definitely did so i guess just to circle back what i was saying it, it took me from thinking okay i'm gonna have a wide array of billies to choose from to all right i'm gonna have to you know really decide once i see a good billy if if that's the one or if i'm willing to risk and and go look for another one
0: once it time became time to carry the rifle around so yeah okay so as things dwindle, then as you said, you're seeing more and more kid nanny groups and sub-adult billies, you're just more thinking it's less about all the options and more about, hey, if I find a solid, respectable adult mature billy, then maybe that's the one.
1: Yep. And I, it got to the point where I was having conversations with friends, like, there's a possibility I'm I'm going to be that guy that doesn't notch his tag. Because you know every <laughs> few years, there's one person that doesn't. Yeah. Like I will not shoot a nanny, and I really don't want to shoot a sub adult Billy. So that was the reason why I wanted to spend a lot of time out there: was one to find the Billy, and two to still be satisfied with the hunt, even if I was unable to notch my tag. Luckily, that didn't happen. But
0: spoiler alert: yeah, spoiler alert, <laughs> right? Yeah, I do want to get into the hunt. So as you said, you you somewhat wanted to wait later into the season, and it, you know at least into in October, progressing. Um, partially because of the hide partially to extend the spirit experience and your time in the field um which i I totally get what was you know you get to the point where okay hunting season now is open i don't one sense maybe i'm hunting i do have a rifle but i'm kind of just still scouting and looking i'm just curious what were some of yeah, let's just dive into the start of the quote unquote hunt. Although I know that that is going to be earlier than when you actually fill your tag and you know, the ultimate success here.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the first trip I carried my rifle on the hunt had been open for almost a month. It was the last weekend of September that kind of spilled over into October, if I remember correctly. Mm. Um, and that was the, the hunt where I actually turned up that, um, that younger Billy when I was looking for the big one. Um, Mm. So I, their, their fur actually was looking pretty good at that point. And if I'd come across that big guy, I probably would have ended the hunt. But in hindsight, I'm glad I didn't because I'd gotten myself into, you know, I was not super far back in there, but I was alone and it was an extremely rugged place compared to some of the other places i had been hunting. But, uh, yeah, so I'd say I still scouted for almost a full month during hunting season without carrying a rifle.
0: And did you, were you hunting for anything else at all? Did you have a bow in your hand chasing elk or was it purely just like, I'm out here just to look for goats? Purely,
1: well, not purely, uh, <laughs> 99.9% just goats. I did have like a, a bear, a wolf and a cougar tag. I had predator tags in my pocket, but but no, no elk tag. And uh, yeah, my initial plans were to carry a deer tag because it was trophy mule deer country back there. But man, it was so depressing. I saw two bucks that entire time and like half a dozen does. Wow. But the the winter was very, very hard on mule deer in that area. So I didn't even end up buying a mule deer tag this year. I think I'm going to pick up a white tail tag and go in, a, in 10 days when the season opens back up out here.
0: Yeah. Man. Uh,
1: yeah. i really expected to see a lot of big deer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is. It's yeah. definitely the right places, but they just weren't there this year.
0: Did you save, I forget how you distributed time, meaning you knew you wanted to focus the hunt later, get into October. But in terms of the the practical logistics of time off or setting aside like, Hey, this isn't just a long weekend, but I'm going to go in for, you know, five, seven days, what have you. What did that look like for you? How did you manage an investment of time, you know, as this hunt progressed? Um, I'm, I'm self-employed. So I'm lucky enough to be able to
1: set my own schedule for the most part. But if I have a client that needs something, I, you know, I'm going to take care of them so I don't lose future business. Um, So honestly, most, I think the longest stretch I was out there was three days. I didn't take any long, long trips because, you know, I'm not that far from home. So it's pretty easy to, run home and shower and resupply and check on the animals and, and then go back out. Um, but yeah, I, I planned on taking the whole month of October off but unexpectedly work got quite busy. So I kind of became a weekend warrior, which really surprised me. <laughs> when it came yeah. down, that wasn't my plan, but, <laughs> uh, it worked out fine because the, the hills were pretty much empty at that point. So there's not a, uh, not a general rifle, elk tag or anything in there and i think everybody else realized that there weren't a lot of deer hanging around so once archery elk season was over it was pretty quiet and uh, i didn't feel a lot of pressure of other people moving things around yeah and there was several other goat tags for the unit and i never ran into another goat hunter which i
0: also thought was interesting that is interesting yeah like not even you know down the trailhead or on the road or anything yeah. I was like, am
1: I in all the wrong places? Like, why am I not running to these other guys? <laughs> yeah. I talked to a few archery elk hunters that they knew people that had uh, goat tags and uh, I talked to two different guys that, taught, that knew one guy that did shoot a really nice, uh, like, a, I think it was nine and a half or nine and three quarters goat in there, which is quite large for Idaho standards, I believe. So kudos to him, but I don't know who it was
0: so early october you're in there that that kind of that final weekend of september and october I, I don't want to skip ahead so feel free to like say hey the next trip this happened or what have you but i guess part of one thread i wanted to pull is you mentioned earlier some self-doubt some some feelings at some point of maybe not filling a tag at what point did that kind of creep in did you go two weeks into october and and felt great and still had confidence like i guess when did that, yeah, self-doubt begin to creep in in this process?
1: I would say, you know, self-doubt started to creep in right around the beginning of October. and then thankfully left um, for the most part, about two weeks in. Um, I'd seen a lot of a lot of different goat groups, and then I went out by myself for a long one of the three day weekends. And I had a buddy that actually, uh, ended up having some time and he met me halfway through the trip and we ended up seeing, um, a Billy, a, a great distance away, but it gave me confidence again to know like, okay, like I've, I've located another one. I can come back at him from a different angle and, you know, have, find some success. Cause it wouldn't have been a terrible pack out. Um, that day we actually saw nine different goats. And we saw two wolves um trying to put uh, some moves on a pronghorn that was hanging out up there at nine thousand feet. Wow, it was really cool to watch we we're we we're about a mile away from the wolves, so it wasn't we didn't really have an opportunity to make a play on them. We both had wolf tags so it would have been cool, but it was really a great experience to watch um, yeah, and that same day, you know we hiked out to a, a point and we were overlooking where we'd seen the wolves and then this other basin where we were watching a nanny and kid group. And we kind of heard some people down at this lake below us. There's people fishing up there hooting and hollering. And I was like, what is going on? I don't know if they, you know, we're just being goofy or what. And then a few minutes later, uh, Dallin, my hunting partner said, there's a goat right behind us. He whispers to me and I'm like, what are you talking about? And I turn around and 80 yards behind us, there's a nanny staring at us. Oh, wow. And I'm like, holy cow. So I turn around real slowly and I get my spotting scope set up, and she starts slowly walking away from us. And she had a kid following her. And uh, so I got my scope out and spotting scope out and started videoing them. And uh, the kid stopped and turned around and looked back at us. And it was one of the most ridiculously cute things I've ever seen, for sure. Uh, very really cool experience to be that close to them. And in hindsight, I think they'd come out of the basin where the lake was and walked right underneath us on the cliffs we were standing on top of because okay. we were actually sitting in goat beds classing. Wow. So She may have been trying to get to the beds that we were sitting in. Um, and the people at the lake were probably yelling at us. There were goats right below us. <laughs> I <think laughs> we just couldn't see them. So that was... That really that whole day really boosted my spirits and got me excited, you know, about okay, just be patient. I still have until November 12th, like a whole another month, no rush. Yeah. So that turned things around for me a little bit. And I reached out to uh buddy Justin and just kind of told him, you know, the problems I was having and do I need to be in different terrain. And his his advice to kind of you know cheer me up and get me back on track was just to stop spending energy chasing goats that weren't Billy's. He's like, when you see a mature Billy, you will know from a long ways away. He's like, just trust in the process. Just relax and quit spending all your energy chasing these nannies. And so, you know, I took that advice to heart and it really helped. And and he was right when I (laughs) eventually did find some Billy's you could tell from the mile and a half away that they were good goats.
0: Hmm. What changed practically? Like, yes, that's a mindset shift, but I'm curious what you did differently. Did you approach different country? Did you, you know, just use your class differently? Like very practically, what changed based on that advice and this shift in mindset? Um, Can you pinpoint anything?
1: Yeah, well, just it helped clear up some of the fog of the unknown, I guess, in my head. Okay. Just Because, you know, I I felt starting the hunt, I felt pretty confident about identifying goats and as things went on, I hadn't seen a big Billy in a while and I started getting nervous again. And then just having, you know, somebody that's an experienced goat hunter tell me, it's like, you will know when you see it. And so, excuse me. That did help uh, my mindset quite a bit. And I, I just kind of went back with renewed confidence, like, okay, I'm not going to spend the weekend chasing goats. I don't need to chase, which is going to free up more time to find the right goat. Yeah. And honestly it did. Um, so I, I stopped going to the places where I'd seen all these nanny and kid groups and, you know, listening to advice from, from you and Steve before, like, look in the areas near where you're seeing nanny and kids, but not in the same spot. Um, and I did start seeing some goats in some pretty nasty terrain. Um, some of it was reasonably inaccessible, especially solo. And, and so that kind of set me back to Onyx and figuring out how I can access some different areas from different angles and different ways, which proved to be very helpful.
0: Yeah, whether... Whether we jump to the ultimate success story, you have other lessons learned, man. I'm just here to hear how the hunt progressed from that point.
1: Yeah. um, I don't know. Just try not to get in your own head. (laughs) This would be my biggest lesson learned. Um, I'm used to spending a lot of time alone you know, in the back country and, and usually it's fine, but that maybe this was too much time alone this time around. <laughs> yeah. But, it's probably, yeah.
0: I mean, it's probably, I don't want to say probably, it had to have been very helpful to be within proximity of home and be making these like three day trips, but then being able to come back out and not only call your buddy, uh, i mean that's extremely valuable but just that mental reset of like okay i'm out of there I'm cleaned up like i'm i have something else to do now like it's just those little resets between hunts can be so life giving and i think that even that even gets overlooked for like to pull the into a drastically different context of if someone's out of state and maybe has you know a 7 or 10 day hunt Like, yes, hunt hard and yes, make the most of your time. But there are situations where, as we've talked about plenty, just because you have 10 days a hunt, 10 days to hunt doesn't mean you take all 10 days and go on your back and you're out there 10 days. Like Sometimes that's, hey, let's go in here for three or four or five days and we're either going to find success or we're going to say, no, this isn't the spot or we're going to say, yeah, this is great. Let's go resupply and get back in here. But those little breaks in between that resupply or that shifting of spots, like essentially anything you can do to build some confidence back up, rejuvenate some energy, get a little bit of creature comforts, maybe grab some food. Like all those things really do matter to help you stay in it very practically and just like mentally over the course of these long hunts or longer seasons.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree more coming back from all these trips. I'd go, I took countless photos and videos of goats and terrain and coming back and going through those, just, you know, kind of recentered me, made me realize how lucky I was to even be in this experience uh, and where I was and just all the experiences I was having while I was out there. Um, It really helped, you know, settle me and then get me excited to come up with a new plan for the next trip. So yeah, I agree with what you're saying completely. It's easy to to get bogged down in the grind and and kind of forget how lucky you are to be doing what you are doing if you're
0: just out there for too long. All right. Let's jump to the, the final success trip. I know nothing of the story other than I had reached out to you uh, just to touch base and like check in and see how it was going not too long ago. Let's see. It was on October 22nd uh and then I heard from you shortly uh thereafter that things had recently come together for you so I don't know the story but I do want to like let's skip ahead to the the final trip if you will but then as I say skip ahead I also want to slow down and like kind of dissect how this trip went where you went how you end up finding the billy you know the whole all the details
1: okay uh, so yeah, I actually I think he might have reached out to me on like a Monday or a Tuesday, and I'd just gotten home at like one in the morning Sunday night before that <laughs> from the successful hunt. So the timing was perfect. Yeah. Um, so throughout all the the hunting and scouting, and I identified a range. Uh, well, I shouldn't say a range. Maybe like a a long, several mile long ridge line that I kept seeing goats and really nasty, very difficult to reach terrain. <laughs> Um and got on the map and looked, well, you know, what was on the other side, and there was a large basin on the other side with a series of lakes and and uh actually a a side by side, like a 50-inch trail <clears throat> that you could get in on in this particular unit. Um uh, it's it has a motorized access limitations. Um uh, so if you do want to access those trails, it has to be for camping. You can't just road hunt from your four-wheeler. So Looked at the weather. It looked like it was going to be the last, you know, really nice mountain weekend of the season. So put the word out to some buddies said, Hey, I'm going to go up and camp at this lake for the weekend. You guys want to come up and fish while I hunt. And then if I have success, you can come help me pack something out. Uh, had three guys take me up on that offer, which which made me super excited. Um, so I had a hunt plan to go hunt, you know, the backside of this ridgeline where I'd been seeing goats, and that, you know, first morning, uh, Dallin again, came on this trip, my hunting buddy, and we went down the trail and we were headed towards where I planned on looking for these goats that I'd been seeing and stopped at a glassing point and just kind of glass this entire gigantic basin. And right away, uh, we picked up two billies a couple miles away on the opposite side of the basin where I planned to hunt. And... You know as, as Justin had told me, it's like you'll know right away, and we knew right away, uh, that these were both um, you know, billies for sure. And at least one of them looked to be a good or great Billy. So with that sorted out, we begun the long trek over there to get to the base of the mountain that they were at. Got over there. Um it was a couple of miles just to get over to the other side of the canyon, and then once we got there, we realized it was going to be a solid fifteen hundred foot hike, which wasn't terrible compared to some of the hikes that I already made this this season. But this was a very steep hill. It was a steep fifteen hundred feet. It wasn't a long one, <laughs> so we took our time. We went two drainages uh, to the west to get out, so we didn't have wind our wind blowing straight up to these goats. And got all the way up there. The goats were, they were like 10,000 to 10,200 feet. Um, got up there to to where we were probably a thousand yards away, put the spotting scope back on there and identified uh, one Billy's like, okay, that's definitely a shooter. And so finally it became real for the first time of the whole hunt. Like the goats didn't know we were there. I could tell I actually had a shooter in my spotting scope. So got really yeah. excited. And uh, thankfully, we were still, still had several hundred feet of very mm-hmm. steep scree to climb because all those excited nerves got burned right out of me. exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> <Your laughs> yeah. We get up there and the, there's very, very loosely uh, sparse trees spread out. And mm-hmm. the goats were kind of feeding on this swath of grass that was kind of running towards us a little bit. And they still didn't know we were there. Uh, so we snuck to this the very last tree that was that tree was right at ten thousand feet, and uh it was on a side hill, but there was a goat trail that ran behind it, so we were in the shade, and uh the goats were slowly feeding towards us. I think they were a little over 600 yards away at this point, and uh I was in no hurry because they didn't know we were there and they were feeding towards us, so I found a a big flat rock and I just started digging scree out of this hillside to try to make a, somewhere I could lay down and get prone on this goat trail. And, uh, Dallin found a stump and another, you know, big flat rock. And we kind of set him up and made a rest for my rifle. And we had just got settled in from doing all that. And I was looking at the, the, the bigger goat through my scope and he'd looked over our way a few times, but. Billy's, I mean, not just Billy's, but all goats, they just look around all the time, right? They're just want to know if they're safe, <laughs> seeing mm-hmm. what's going on. And he looked our direction a few times, but for some reason, this time it was different. And I kind of looked at him and I felt like he was like looking right through me. And I'm like, Dallin, we're busted. And he's like, what? Ah. That's impossible. <laughs> and I'm like, that goat knows something is not right. We are busted. And sure enough, he stopped feeding and he just slowly started walking straight up the mountain instead of feeding towards us like he was. Oh, man. Yeah. So, I'm like, "What? give me a yardage. And Dallin said, 560. I'm like, are you confident on that? He's like, completely. Okay. So, I dialed my scope, got settled. Boom. Right over the top of him. Dallin's like, you're high. He's like, you're in line, but you're high. I'm like, Okay. And so I'm like, I, I didn't feel like I had nerves. So get settled back in my rifle, shoot again, right over the top of him again. I'm like, what in the heck is going on? Double checks uh, my scope and my little dope chart to keep on the butt of my rifle. And Like everything was how it was supposed to be. Couldn't figure it out. And he's like dial down or aim lower. <laughs> so I did. And the third shot connected, unfortunately. I did make a poor shot that time and it hit him a little far back. And that was, he's like, it's okay. Get another one in him. You're fine. And, but the goat decided he would had enough of this at this point and picked up pace and started going up to the other side of the mountain. And I wasn't able to get a follow-up shot at him. And immediately, like my world just came crashing down.
0: That's tough, man.
1: Yeah, it was, I'd, I'd never... Never had that happen with an animal before. Sure, I've made some shots that weren't great, but never had one that I couldn't follow up right away and get it stopped. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I felt like it was a lethal shot, but it's definitely not where, not where you want to shoot one. Um, so he walked over the top of the ridge, and we could see. We could see his, just his head standing there and he was kind of looking around deciding what he was going to do. And his buddy had followed him and they they just stopped moving. They weren't going any further. I'm like, okay, this is a great sign. Like he's he's going to lay down and die right here. And so we watched him for a little while and nothing changed. So we backed out from, of our position because we were kind of down from the top of a, a peak that was directly across from the peak they were on. So we backed around that came around the backside to where we could see, you know, where they were standing and we were still probably six or 700 yards away. And he was perched on top of a very nasty, rocky cliff face with nowhere to bed. (laughs) So once again, I was like, Oh no, like all of my worst dreams were coming true. Basically I'm going to have to, you know, this goat's going to fall off of this cliff and destroy himself. Um, So we just sat and watched to see what would happen. Um, And he tried to bed down at one point, but there was literally just nowhere for him to lay and he wouldn't turn around and back out of it. And at the distance I was at, I was like, okay, even if I somehow am able to find the confidence in myself and my rifle right now and spine this thing to drop him in his tracks, like there's, I still feel like there's 90% chance he's going to roll down this nasty rocky face. And so I think basically, you know, when he went over the top of that ridge to the backside, that was his escape terrain because these two goats had several like very, very well used goat beds scratched out on the other side of the mountain. So I could tell like this was where he lived type thing. He wasn't just passing through. And so I'm like, well, eventually he's going to, come down that cliff and hopefully under his own accord and not tumble and fall. Mm -hmm. And we watched and watched and then it started getting dark. I'm like, man, and I was just like stuck. I didn't know what to do because if it was, and, and people may not agree with the decisions I made and I fully understand and respect that, but if it had been a different type of hunt, not a trophy species hunt, I would have shot at that animal until it was dead and let it fall off the cliff. But, um, as poor as it may make me sound like I was, I would was, this, wasn't a meat hunt for me. This was an experience hunt and it was a trophy hunt. And the last thing I wanted to do was destroy that animal completely. So made the very painstaking decision to back out at night o- overnight. Went back to camp, and that was the longest, <laughs> the longest hike I'd ever, ever been on, and one of the longest nights I've ever had in a tent. And you guys had camp all the way at the bottom? Yeah, uh, all the way across the bottom. <laughs> yeah,
0: back to where you had started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was, it was miles away. Dang. Um,
1: let, you know, every emotion was going through me, and luckily yeah. Dad was there to,
0: to help talk me off the cliff so to speak yeah okay let me hit pause there because i was getting ready to ask before he even said his name in those situations because un- unfortunately most of us will find ourselves i don't want to say in a similar situation because it's i'm not saying it's a mountain goat or terrain or et cetera. but what i'm getting at is this tough situation some level of doubt some level of oh gosh is this going to happen did i screw it up etc And we're either going to be the one that took the shot, or maybe we're the the Dallin, we're the hunting buddy, and our buddy took the shot. So I'm curious, is there anything he did or didn't do that was genuinely helpful, beneficial? Because sometimes it's those moments like, I don't know what to say, like, do I say this cliche thing to encourage him and say it's all going to be okay? Or do I just, you know, is quiet better? Like, and of course, what's helpful for you in that situation is somewhat unique to you personally but I yeah. didn't want to touch on like hey how did that go and did Dallin do anything helpful beneficial on that hike out that night of etc
1: yeah he really did um I'm not the kind of person that likes to be told it's okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know I'm with I mean? you yeah I like I feel like we have these emotions and feelings for a reason. Um, you know, I, I screwed up. I didn't do my job. This is what it came down to. And it's okay to feel bad when you screw up. That's why we feel bad. So you makes you not want to screw up again in the future, right? Right. And so Dallin didn't just keep telling me it's going to be okay. He, he was, he was helpful in the fact he's like, that goat is going to die. That is a lethal shot. It sucks. It's not where you wanted it. He's like, and I'm really sorry you waited so long for this. And this is how it's happening. And that was exactly what was going through my mind. And it was, and, you know, thankfully he didn't, you know, just say, you know, you know, it happens. It's going to be okay. And it's like, I already knew all that. Right.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep.
1: I just wanted to feel not sorry for myself more. I would say disgusted with myself at the time for just how it all went down. Um, To back up a little bit, I'd had like no joke, two nightmares during scouting. One was I had shot a seven inch Billy, (laughs) (laughs) which sounds like a ridiculous thing to have a nightmare about, but (laughs) I did. That's where my mind was at. And a little while later I had shot a nanny Um, and I never had, you know, a bad dream about the situation I was in, but I had thought about it over and over and over. I don't feel like I self-sabotaged myself in this by any means. Uh, I think I just, I can come up with all kinds of excuses on why I made that shot. Like the goat had moved and my rest wasn't where it needed to be and yada, 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 wind, elevation, humidity. I, I I'd set my rifle in for 5,000 feet for, for one, uh, which is a mistake. I should have
0: recited it somewhere in elevation. Yeah. I was going to ask about, did you come away with any conclusions of why you may have missed high? Like because I was thinking that when you and I partially knew this because I've I've seen a picture of you with the goat and the rifle, and I see a taped on dope chart. And I was curious, like, was being at ten thousand feet in elevation a factor based on where you sighted in or how you had that dope chart built, or yeah, any other reasons you thought you may have missed high?
1: I think yes, I think elevation was a factor. I think uh Low humidity was a factor. I don't know how much, but I know, you know, typically when I shoot my rifle, it's in July at 5,000 feet. So it's a lot more humid. Air's a lot thicker. Um, Going back and consulting an app I use, like I shouldn't have been missing as much as I was, uh, which leads me to leave my rifle wasn't uh, zeroed as well as I thought out at that yardage. I practiced out to 800 yards before and felt confident uh, you know, I definitely didn't want to take a shot that far and I much would have preferred not to take a shot even at 560 yards, but the way the mountain was, we were literally at the last piece of cover we could have been at. Um, and you know, the goats were feeding towards us until there must've been a glint off of something in my kit. I have no idea what it could have been because my rifle's Sarah coated, like there's no shiny parts on anything. I get, I don't know how that dude nailed us, but he sure did. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, it's ultimately the accountability lies on me, not my equipment. So even if, even if I did have, you know, a rifle that wasn't sighted in well, or because of the elevation, it literally, it all still comes down to me for, for not, uh, following up on all that and. And understanding it more, getting back into it, Dallin, you know, Dallin becomes my therapist at ten thousand feet, gets me off the mountain in one piece. <laughs> we get up super early the next morning, which is Sunday, um and he—he's an outstanding individual, and he's a very religious person, and he has a, a personal uh, thing where he does not hunt on Sunday. So I knew, I knew how important it was. I knew what sacrifice he was making by staying with me on Sunday to see this through. It's just something he would never normally do, mm. which was uh pretty heartwarming itself. Um, and then we got we made the, the hike all the way back in there. Uh, and, you know, in my mind is I was trying to just like, I was literally praying that that goat would just be dead and frozen where I saw him. Cause we could have accessed him from, from that point would have taken some paracord and, you know, and, and some polling, but we could have got him off of that point. We get up there and uh, he's not there. I'm like, Oh no. So start scanning the cliffs. I don't see him anywhere in the cliffs, but then I start seeing, uh, what appears to be either jump marks or fall marks. And then a series of like hoof prints, cause there was six inches of snow on the, this was on the north side of the mountain. So apologies. I didn't mention that before so i just kept getting closer and closer to the edge of this mountain i was on and then i saw him laying down at the bottom uh of that cliff run in screefield basically and from what it looked like from the tracks um he didn't come down he didn't just fall off of the cliffs he did have some you know he came down at somewhat under his own power but i could see that he was struggling for sure uh but died basically in the, or came to rest or whatever. in the only flat spot uh, at the first flat spot, I should say Um, he ended up, I went back on on X and looked at the elevation lines and it was a 450 foot stumble down uh, to the backside of the mountain, basically. Uh, So then I was, you know, relieved to see him there, relieved to see him in dead Uh, and the way he was laying, I couldn't, couldn't tell if his horns were still intact, but I could tell that his legs were all, you know, pointing a normal way. Uh, there wasn't mingled fur. There wasn't, you know, blood everywhere from trauma coming down the mountain. So it was hopeful. And, uh, yeah, we, we made the hike down there. Uh, he had chipped one horn about, I don't know, I'm guessing somewhere around a half to three quarters of an inch off of one horn. And the other one was fine. And he had a, one cut above his right eye and on on the right side of his snout. But uh, very, very lucky, very grateful that he wasn't destroyed from coming down that because, I mean, it's not something a human could really get up and down unless you're uh, Alex Honnold type deal, you know, (laughs) pretty nasty. Um, So, yeah, uh, felt very relieved about all that. Took, uh, you know, Dallin's an amateur photographer, and he had a DSLR with him. So, as far as I can tell, he took somewhere around the area of ten thousand photos. (laughs) All right, (laughs) plus or minus a few. Yeah, I'm like, let's wrap this up. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we started breaking down the animal, and as soon as we got into the hide, it was just uh, the worst smell you can imagine. So then, once the feelings of elation subsided again, and just felt terrible basically the the i'm guessing the you know the stomach acids and whatnot had got into that meat and it was cold but this goat as you can see from the picture had an outstanding coat on him yeah so he was very well insulated oh insulated yeah yeah within himself and so yeah it was it was a very smelly experience but we got them processed and I carried the, the you know, the hide and the two hind quarters, my rifle and spotter. And then Dallin had, I think he had my tripod, his camera, and then he took the fronts and the the back straps and neck and hiked out of that. That was another very steep 450 feet back up the north side of that mountain. And then the, the however, 1500 or 1700 feet, whatever it was back down the other side and uh,
0: got out of there and a culmination of uh months of anticipation and scouting and being in the field and it's always a bit surreal to like finish it you know for that for that to quote unquote and um and obviously you had some twists and turns you you didn't fully expect but it just still had to be very rewarding to to load that pack up heavy and get on the way out with some success. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, it,
1: yeah. For the first week after the hunt was over, it was, it was weird because since, you know, the end of June, my life had pretty much revolved around this tag. And so, you know, people were congratulating me and, you know, saying, you know, how does it feel? It was like, it, doesn't feel like it's over. Like I feel like I should be packing my stuff to head back out there. But uh, yeah, it was definitely bittersweet. Um, it's not the, the way I would have liked it to finish, but I'm still extremely grateful for the goat himself and the experience. Um, I'm very thankful that, you know, the the cape and the horns and everything were fine. I, ended up deciding I'm going to do a a rug for the wall of the whole, the whole goat. Um, So excited for that. Uh, And, you know, kind of, as as you said, it's like, you're probably going to get the bug and, you know, as soon as you're done with this, you'll be planning another trip. And at first I was like, after going through all those emotions, like, I don't know, man, like I'm going to sit on the bench for a while, but then, you know, just (laughs) this last weekend, I was like, I wonder how much those, kodiak goat hunts cost <laughs> <laughs> oh man So yeah, i definitely definitely have the bug um uh, i'd look forward to getting back into those same mountains and just actually taking a fishing pole and fishing all those yeah. lakes that was, another thing is i wouldn't allow myself to take a fishing pole because i knew if i did i would just sit at the lake all day and not go <laughs> <boat> for goats. <laughs>
0: right um well that's what's super cool too with you know, this country is you had an excuse to get more into it than you ever have had. And then now you have these memories associated with it. And so getting back into this country in the future to fish is also like in the shadow of reliving these great memories. I mean, it just becomes a, such a special place for you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And Eternally grateful for the experience and yeah, it was, it was very awesome. Um, Back on the goat, if people are curious, he was a good goat. Um, I would say great fur with good horns. (laughs) Yeah, Fishing game taped him at nine inches um, and to be five and a half years old. So he was a younger, mature Billy for sure.
0: But yeah. Nine, I mean, a nine-inch Billy in Idaho is a really good goat for sure. Yeah, if you're just talking horns, and then yeah, as you said, like super mature body-wise, great hide, like he's gorgeous, man.
1: Yeah, thank you. He's he's a stud for sure. I'm, I feel like it's all more than I deserve, but I'm very grateful for the, everything
0: for sure. So cool. I love goat stories because like I said, yeah, the the goat hunt that I did, it's something I looked toward, forward to for years and it was very fulfilling, but it was also like, all right, dang it, I'm going to want to do this again. You know, there's just nothing like goats and goat country for me. Yeah, it is. It gets in you for sure. And I've,
1: I feel guilty that, this, that you know, those mountains have been there my entire life <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I just never had gone that that deep into them. And I was hiking places where I, there's, I couldn't think of any other reason in the world why I'd ever hike into some of that terrain. Cause it was just steep, gnarly and rugged stuff, but man, was it cool.
0: That's awesome, man. Well, uh, I'm excited for you. Love that you had the success and was able to not only just kill a really, really good goat, but have all the time in the field and the full experience with it. I mean, it's the way for, like idaho this once in a lifetime opportunity um you just have to make the most of it and you did that well so congrats man
1: yeah thank you very much mark thank you for the opportunity to be on the podcast and tell my story as painful as some of the parts where the overall the experience was
0: still amazing and something i'll take with me to my grave basically Well, there you have it guys. What a cool story. Definitely a memorable one and just a a good example of persistence and just the fact that hunting's hard and things don't always go your way and you have to take the good with the bad and make the most of it. And man, what a, just a unique opportunity to have those once in a lifetime hunts. Thank you, Josh, for sharing the story with us. As always, guys, if you have anything for us, if you want to reach out with a guest suggestion, a topic suggestion, or have any specific questions, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to podcast at xomomgear.com, and we'll talk to you soon.